Holy Father in heaven, once again your children are here to fellowship with you. As you have implored us to do, that we should come and reason together with you. And if our sins are scarlet, you have promised to make them as white as snow. And if they are like crimson, you have promised that they will be as wool. We pray, Father, that you shall make us to be willing to be made willing to be obedient to you, so that we may eat the good of the land. Dear Lord in heaven, please grant us of your spirit. Grant us grace, Lord, to follow your word. Grant us of your spirit, O Lord, that we may understand and put into practice what we are learning. I pray, Father, that you also put your words in my mouth, that I may speak blessings and health and peace to the souls of all who would listen. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, June 21 One sin leads to another. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27 When in ease and self-security he let go his hold upon God, David yielded to Satan and brought upon his soul the stain of guilt. He, the heaven-appointed leader of the nation, chosen by God to execute his law, himself trampled upon its precepts. He who should have been a terror to evildoers by his own act strengthened their hands. Amid the perils of his earlier life, David, in conscious integrity, could trust his case with God. The Lord's hand had guided him safely past the unnumbered snares that had been laid for his feet. But now, guilty and unrepentant, he did not ask help and guidance from heaven, but sought to extricate himself from the dangers in which sin had involved him. But Sheba, whose fatal beauty had proved a snare to the king, was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of David's bravest and most faithful officers. None could foresee what will be the result should the crime become known. Every effort which David made to conceal his guilt proved unavailing. In his desperation, he was hurried on to add murder to adultery. He who had compassed the destruction of Saul was seeking to lead David also to ruin. Though the temptations were different, they were alike in leading to transgression of God's law. Uriah was made the bearer of his own death warrant, a letter sent by his hand to Joab from the king commanded, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire from him, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. Joab, already stained with the guilt of one wanton murder, did not hesitate to obey the king's instructions, and Uriah fell by the sword of the children of Ammon. He whose tender conscience and high sense of honor would not permit him, even when in peril of his life, to put forth his hand against the Lord's anointed, 
had so fallen that he could wrong and murder one of his most faithful and most valiant soldiers and hope to enjoy undisturbed the reward of his sin. Alas, how had the fine gold become dim? How had the most fine gold changed? Amen. The title of our devotion for today is One Sin Leads to Another. David, during a time of ease and prosperity, after self-confidence had come into him and self-complacency, by following the customs of the people around him, had ceased to see sin for what it was. By the flattery of women, and even men too, and because of his position, he had ceased to guard himself with the stronghold of principle that would have stopped him from going further into a great sin. The Bible says in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11 from verse 1, And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass, in an evening tide, that David arose from off his bed, and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent, and told David, and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. So here it is that David has already done the deed. And you can see here that the war and the battle that the children of Israel went for was no small war. They had been away for at least a month. For Bathsheba to know that she was with child, it means that at least a month has gone by and maybe she had missed her period and then she knew that she was with child. She had seen the signs of it at least a month, I would say, perhaps even two. So David was in Jerusalem two months or one month while his soldiers and his army were fighting the children of Ammon. What was he doing in Jerusalem? Well, that goes to show you the self-complacency that had taken place in David's life. He is the leader of Israel and the Bible says that this was a time when kings go to war and he is a king and he was not supposed to be relaxing in Jerusalem at this time but he stayed at home. You can see the spirit of self-confidence in David. Now it was that Joab sent Uriah back home and David tried through various means to cause Uriah to go back to his house and have sex with his wife so that it would be framed that the child belongs to Uriah but divine providence overruled it. Uriah slept at the door of his king's house with all the servants of his lord and he did not go to his house. A second time David tried, it didn't work out. When David saw that it wasn't working out, he gave Uriah a letter with his own death warrant in it, telling Joab 
to set Uriah at the forefront of the hottest battle and then leave him alone so that he will be killed by the Ammonites. Joab, a man who was unscrupulous, who already had his hands stained with the blood of Abner, killing him in cold blood and deceiving Abner. He did not hesitate to execute the command of David and then he sent a message to David through a servant telling them to tell David that Uriah the Hittite is dead. But was it only Uriah the Hittite? Many of us want to talk about Uriah the Hittite and it's, he is the important part of the story. But it was not only Uriah that died. To cover David's sin, one sin led to another indeed. From his self-complacency in staying at home to the temptation that he fell for in calling Bathsheba for the sole purpose of having sex with her, then trying to make Uriah sleep with his wife, that was deception, and then sending Uriah's death warrant to Joab through Uriah's own hands. David's sin was piling up. One sin was indeed leading to another. But what was it that Joab did? It says in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 11 from verse 17, And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approachest ye so nigh unto the city when you did fight? Knew you not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubesheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of meal, a millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Joab had sent for him. And the messenger said unto David, Surely the men prevailed against us, and came out unto us into the field, and we were upon them even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants, and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said unto the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife, and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So in summary, David had the boldness to take another man's wife just for the purpose of having sex with her. He knew she was Uriah's wife and still went ahead to request for her to come over to him for the sole purpose of sexual pleasure. Now when we understand that Uriah was a servant, a faithful, valiant servant of, of David, the scene gets worse. David did not resist this temptation. He indulged. He gave in to it. After the moment of pleasure, he learned she was pregnant and in a bid to cover that sin, he tried to make Raya sleep with her and it didn't work out. In his desperation to cover his tracks and preserve his dignity, he schemed the death of Raya. He killed an innocent man. And not just Raya, but other men died along with it. With Raya, the sin was great and that's why the Bible says it displeased the Lord. What was the depth of this sin in David's life. There was ingratitude and injustice shown to Uriah, whose noble services in the king's cause 
was met with a cruel return. David rewarded Uriah evil for good. The meanness and treachery of this sin was that he even had to give Uriah the letter that was his own death warrant, detailing the plot of his own death without knowing it. How is it that David got to this point? That is what is most important. Just knowing the story of David is of no use to us. At best, it will even make some people excuse themselves in sin. But we need to study to find out how we can avoid this. And do not look down on David wherever you are thinking that you are better than him. David was very spiritual and it can happen to anyone. If you look at David and say, how did David do something like this? Well, you are not in the same position he was. Maybe if you have the same power that he had and you have the same prosperity and influence that he had, you never know what you will do. You may do far worse than himself. Sometimes there is the disposition in people, in women to look at their husbands or men to look at their wives in a very vile way and feel, how dare you do this? But we need to understand that with great power comes great responsibility. That when people are placed in a position of high authority and influence, they are assailed with greater temptations, far greater temptation than those who are not of influence and responsibility. Therefore, we must look at this story in humility and meekness, in reverence, understanding that we also can be found wanting in this matter and even do far worse than King David has done. So let us look at the matter with humility and meekness. What brought David to this situation? We could see, firstly, was a life of ease. In the days when David was persecuted by King Saul, necessity demanded that he prayed always. But now persecution was removed. Now that the persecution was removed, it was a time of ease. And in a time of ease, brothers and sisters, it is a time of great danger. The church of God, during the years of after the apostles, 180 downwards, for 1260 years of supremacy of the papal Rome, there was persecution. During that time, God's church was relatively pure because during the fire of persecution, only the faithful ones remained as Christians following the word of God, the Bible. But when the persecution was, was removed and it was stayed and there came a time of prosperity and ease for Christianity, today look at what we have become. Because of the lack of persecution, many do not see their necessity to pray. Do not pray your persecutions away just like that. We, we, we are more pure and faithful to God during trials than in a time of ease. Another thing that led to David's fall was his receiving of flattery and praise. David killed his thousands, the women said. It is in God's mercy that he permits us to be in perpetual warfare against our enemies. If there is no war, we will always we will allow the flattery of our successes to be our ruin. In the absence of persecution against himself, David's spiritual life began to go down and it was no longer necessary to pray like he used to before. Perhaps he had gotten used to the praise and flattery of young ladies and used to receiving favors from people. He added wife to wife and concubine to concubine. He was letting his guard down. He was bringing down the strongholds of principle that the Lord has used to barricade him until he had flattened it and then he fell into the sin. 
He began to do things which would not be permitted in others but excused for kings. Perhaps, I'm just saying perhaps, perhaps ladies would come to him and give him gifts and chuckle at him and he would chuckle back at them. He didn't put the guard up. Perhaps some will give him some gifts and you know that the Bible says that gifts pervert the judgment of the wise. Perhaps there were some who were so forward and bold women who would come to him and give him a touch on his body and he would not resist it and he will allow them to have the freedom and liberty to touch him. Perhaps I'm just saying, I'm just saying that for our own sakes, that these are the things that break the stronghold that lead us to that great aggravated evil. It doesn't come in a moment that we fall into such a grievous sin as this one that David fell into. It comes gradually, slowly, imperceptibly, by permitting yourself to do things or allowing people to do things to you that is not the stronghold of principle. We see ourselves fall. He had another law for himself. Let us never fall into the trap of thinking that the law that applies to others do not apply to us. If you heard that your brother or son or daughter or wife was in a room alone with another man, what would you do? How would you view it? If you saw your son or daughter sleeping over in the house of a brother, even if he calls himself a pastor, of the opposite sex, or holding hands, your wife holding hands with another man, or being alone in another room, would you not have your eyes on, on the alert? Now, if you see it in this way, and yet think that for you it's a different law. If you say your wife cannot be alone in another room with a man, why then do you do it as a single man or as a single lady? If you are married and you feel, oh, because I'm married, I can't stay in a room alone with a man, then why does it not apply to you when you are single? If you would feel strange and troubled to hear that your husband is in a room alone with a woman, why then would you think as a single woman or a single man that it is okay for you to do the same. Do you see that self-confidence has started creeping in you? When you think that your child or your, your daughter or your son, that, that they cannot handle this, but you can handle it, right? Do you see that that self-confidence creeping in? And remember what we studied yesterday. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11. Just because you you, you broke the strongholds of principle and nothing happens to you doesn't mean that something is not going to happen but then when you do that just like Eve who broke the stronghold by separating from her husband she felt confident she saw that I've separated from him and nothing has happened therefore I can do well and some of us break the strongholds of social reform doing things we should not do that the things are supposed to protect us from this sin of adultery and fornication we break them and when we see that nothing happened, I slept in the young man's house and nothing happened. I slept in the young lady's house and nothing happened. We spent time together and nothing happened. We laughed together and nothing happened. We did this and nothing happened. We did that, nothing happened. I touched his face, nothing happened. He touched mine, nothing happened. We held each other's hands, nothing happened. That's how we keep saying it. Do you know what's happening? Nothing is happening indeed. But something is indeed happening. In your eyes, what you mean by nothing is that you did not go into adultery. But something did happen. You broke the strongholds of principle. And when you broke it, you don't know what is going on. For Solomon, it was when he was old that he fell. You don't know when yours will come. Be very careful. Fear for yourself. 
don't be so confident and think that you are so spiritual that you can break the strongholds of principle. Because when you do that, oh, your self-confidence will be your ruin and the ruin of others. Maybe nothing happened to you, but somebody else who is watching you will try the same thing and something will happen. Now, if you see that you cannot permit your child to do something that I just described, all those examples, and yet you think that you can be alone with the opposite sex in a room or just break any of the strongholds of principle, don't you see that you are trusting yourself? If you trust yourself, is that not self-confidence? One of the things that brought David down is the neglecting of the safeguards. David first started by taking liberties which it wasn't his right to take in small matters. Polygamy is a form of covetousness. David had engaged in this because it was accepted to do so. Little by little, he had disregarded the injunctions of God without any consequence. Being used to the praise of men and the adoration of women of the land, he had become self-confident. Whatever he wanted, he got. Even things which he knew was given to him out of flattery, this got to his head. As he had disregarded God's law in smaller matters, David lived at ease. After the year was expired, the Bible says, it was a time of war. The Bible says in the book of 2 Samuel 11 verse 1, and it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time, at the time when kings go forth to battle, why do you think the Bible gave us that information? That it was the time when kings go forth to battle. David is a king. The Bible is letting us know that David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is the time when kings go to battle. But David sent Joab, Joab is not the king, and his servants with him, and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Then the Bible says, But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now that we have understood how long this was, you know, some of us would think that this was just a matter of a day. This was not a matter of a day. The day David sent them is not necessarily the day he saw Bathsheba. We don't know how many days it was, even if it was just that day. The day he slept with her, till the day that she knew she was pregnant, has to be at least a month. Now, if that is the case, that means David was relaxing for a long time in the house at the time when kings go forth to battle. David tarried in Jerusalem and was at ease. The likelihood is that the great prosperity that was now flowing in upon David in every direction had had an unfavorable effect upon his soul. For a long period, the extremities that he had faced with King Saul made it to be of necessity that he would continually pray. But now that necessity was removed. Then when you add to this the fact that in the beginning of this chapter, and that's in 2 Samuel chapter 11, you find that the Bible says this was a time when, when, the, when the kings go forth to battle and David tarried in Jerusalem. It means that he had fallen into this life of ease and luxury and in a self-indulging mood. And this was what disposed him to stay in his house and idly sit down and join himself rather than follow Joab and the rest of his brave soldiers like Uriah to the battle, to the self-denying labor of fighting the battles of the Lord. David was supposed to be at war but chose to be at ease. It was at this time that he fell. He felt safe to leave the battle to the less spiritual. No, that's how we do. It is the less spiritual that need all these guards. You know, if you are spiritually strong, you can stay with a woman in the room or with a man and nothing will happen. You can even sleep there, nothing will happen. Don't get me wrong. There are times when it is necessary or 
necessity circumstances cause this but when you needlessly without necessity without any emergency just go and break the laws that the lord has put out there to be a safeguard for you and then you feel nothing happens it only boldly emboldens you to do it again and again till the day when something will happen the law did not apply to david anymore it was not necessarily a sin for david to be at home when other kings were going to war but it was the right thing to do for him to go to war unless there was a real importunate reason that was an emergency it is the work of the king to go to war but david like many leaders of today followed the customs of the world rules for thee and not for me others can go to fight while he stays back home not even king saul did this but this neglect became his ruin there are some people who choose to define their christian life by calling some things salvific or salvational and others non-salvational issues those things that you call non-salvational are things which you may think are not to be taken seriously while those that are salvational they think that these are the ones that are to be taken seriously it is such people who like david will fall and easy prey to satan's snares the commands which which god has given for our safety they find no harm in disregarding them and fall prey to the devil's temptations this is the root of the matter that make that made david to fall anyone who feels safe in disregarding any part of the scripture or any safeguard the lord has given to us for example there are things in the bible that the bible that says be careful how you receive gifts because gifts will prevent the judgment of the wise is it a sin to receive a gift no there is the instruction given to us for our safety which when you don't follow it you're not necessarily sinning like when you read the book of proverbs chapter 4 reading from verse 7 14 that says enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men if you enter their path it's only telling you what will keep you safe if you enter their path it doesn't mean that you have sinned but these kind of instructions are the most important of instructions these ones that guard our safety that is the one that you need to take note of not those ones that are blatant sins david for the best part neglected this kind of instructions and some people today like i'm saying like to call these things not salvational enter not in the path of the wicked is what the bible says evil communication corrupts corrupts good manners what the bible says do not marry an unbeliever is what the bible says the bible gives us instructions for our safety such as saying to us that we should be careful who we make our friends make no provision for the flesh to fulfill his lust thereof there are things that you may have in your home that are not sins in and of themselves maybe you have a movie but you're not watching it maybe it's just on your phone you haven't watched it is it a sin to have it there is it a sin to keep the dvd in the home no it is not but are you safe no but it's in neglecting these kind of instructions that you are inviting trouble to yourself and when you needlessly invite trouble to yourself and say oh this is not a salvational issue the devil will take you as game for himself like i said earlier anyone who feels safe in disregarding any part of scripture with the excuse that it is not relevant should be careful because they are becoming confident in themselves it is just like eve teaching that staying close to adam was not salvational that the main message is don't eat the fruit ask her how it went for her when she strayed from the side of adam the most important parts of the scripture are those instructions that function as safeguards which people slight as though they don't really matter and act like we can fare well even if we disregard them did david fare well when he chose to be at ease and didn't go for war when it was time for him to go 
Was it a salvational issue for him? Did Eve do well when she felt confident to separate from her husband's side when she knew well that she was told not to do that? Did she fare well when she was told that she cannot be tempted except she goes close to the tree but she went anyways? She also thought that the salvational issue was the eating of the forbidden fruit of knowledge of good and evil. She broke every barrier of safety which she considered not to be salvational. Eventually, she ended up just where God was trying to prevent her from ending up. Jesus said in the book of Luke 16 verse 15, And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. In the matter of sexual sin, God has been pleased to give us instructions for our safety. Violating these instructions in the mind of the, con- of the self-confident is no sin anymore than it wasn't for Eve. But what example are you setting for onlookers and what makes you think that when you are old like Solomon, these violations won't, won't break your resolve and come to haunt you? In the book of Proverbs 7, we see some resolve, some, some safeguards that were broken by a young and simple man. And the Bible wrote these things for us to take note of the things that we should do and we should not do. In verse 6 it says, For at the window of my house I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones. I discerned among the youths a young man void of understanding, passing through the street near her corner. And he went the way to her house. Hold on now. So what is Solomon identifying here as the problem with this young man? Firstly, remember we have read in Proverbs 4 verse 14, Enter not into the path of the wicked. Don't even come close to it. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Solomon is now identifying here in Proverbs 7 verse 8 that the problem with this young man is that he entered, passed through the street near her corner and went the way to her house. When was the time he was doing this? In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without. Now in the streets and light and wait at every corner. So the rest is history. She caught him and kissed him and with an impudent face said unto him so many other things that lured him to sin. The Bible says that she was the one that forced him to sin. So what does God identify as the error of this simple-minded youth that showed that he lacked understanding? He didn't see any danger in walking by the night close to the house of the strange woman. And young man and young lady, do not deceive yourself into thinking that this strange man or woman is not referring to you. I am the strange man. I am that strange woman. Don't come near my house in the evening, in the black and dark night. If you were not thinking that, then you unconsciously are the self-confident person. Because sometimes we read this Proverbs 7 and we're thinking, oh, I am the young man. Don't you know that you might even be that woman? that strange woman. You think you cannot be the one who would grab the man and say, oh, I have perfumed my bed and then you kiss him. It can be you. Don't even excuse yourself and think it cannot be you. And then we can still be that young man who set himself up. We read this text looking at the man and not the woman. We should have a humble opinion of ourselves and stop thinking that we are strong to go against the safeguards of the Lord has placed for us. In the black and dark night, you are going to the house of the opposite sex and say it's not a salvational issue. You go to spend time alone in a private secret place with the opposite sex and say it is no moral wrong. 
is no salvational issue. You take liberties in holding hands, kissing, hugging, pecking, and say it is no sin or no moral wrong is not a salvational issue. You break all the rules and safeguards and say, these rules are not law, I have not sinned. You are setting yourself up. And you, your fall, may come soon. David stayed at home when it was time to go to war. We are supposed to go to war against ourselves, against our flesh. At a time when we are to go to war is no time to be at ease. Now is the time for war against the flesh. And those who think that they can ease off on the safeguards which God has placed are not going to the battle but are becoming loose. Some today are becoming loose and slack like David. They have judged themselves and said, these principles and safeguards do not apply to me. I am doing ministry. I am doing evangelistic work. I am trying to encourage the lady. I am trying to lift her spirit up. That's why I am in her house. That's why I'm making the calls all night. That's why I'm spending much time chatting with her. I'm not saying that any of these things are wrong. But you must be careful. Keep yourself safe. And know what kind of conversations to pick and discuss. When we were looking at the story of Samson, we experienced and we studied how and what we should discuss, things we should not discuss. There are certain women who will come. And when we even looked at the... Um, Midianite women who came to the children of Israel and led them astray. We saw there that when people come to you with sympathetic stories, keep your sympathy to yourself. If you want, if you want to know the safeguards and the work, the principles of social reform, you can go to the devotion that is titled "Sins That Scar." That was done in I think the 19th of April, so you can get there the moral. Um, principles for protecting ourselves against sexual sin but like i was saying now is a time for us to go to war we are not supposed to be relaxing now david was relaxing at a time when he was supposed to be at war and we are living in the hour of temptation the hour of temptation is not a time for us to send joab and others to go to war instructing them preaching the word of god and telling people the work of social reform and then thinking that you because you are a minister or because you are an evangelist or because you are a preacher you can send the joabs and the soldiers to go and fight the war against their flesh while you since you are the one who is the king you know it all i know all the laws of social reform therefore it won't affect me because i know them i know the dangers wow is that how you think of yourself are you feeling confident that because you know the dangers and social of the laws of social reform and how to protect yourself from fornication, therefore you are at liberty to break those principles? Now, don't think that way. Now is the time for war against the flesh. Those who think they can ease off on the safeguards which God has placed, they're not going to the battle, but they are becoming loose. Some today are becoming loose and slack like David. Once upon a time, they would go to war, but now they are rethinking their position on various matters in the scripture. They are now at ease in social reform, Sabbath reform, dress reform, and many other reforms. They begin to see the instructions of safeguard as too strict. They are not going to war anymore. It's so sad. When we start to rethink our position and say, oh no, these safeguards are not needed. Some will go to 1 Corinthians 11 and say, oh, it's not a salvational issue. It's just about head covering. Some will go to the dress matter and say, it's not a salvational. Who taught you? Where is it in the Bible that says what is salvational and what is not salvational? Jesus said, he that believeth and baptizes shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. Ordinary baptism is a salvational issue. How do you know what is salvational and what is not salvational? Every word of God is pure. Follow every word. Do not tell yourself this one is of consequence and this one is of no consequence. There is nothing the word of God has said that is of no consequence. How can you look at something in the word of God and say it's of no consequence? 
if you are not becoming self-confident and self-complacent. You must realize your sin in that you have become above the word of God. When many people have become, you know, when somebody is a humble follower of God, they don't raise themselves in matters too high for them. They feel they don't know much in the word of God. Everything they read is relevant to them. But when people, some, not all of them, have become lords of the word of God, they have become the deciders of what is important and what is not important. They are now above the Bible. They teach the Bible what is important and what is not important. They are the ones who will come and tell you, look, these issues are not good, are not issues. If it was mentioned only once in the Bible, then it is not relevant. Where did we get that principle from? That if it was mentioned only once in the Bible, then it's not relevant. Then it's not a salvational issue. How many times do we read in the Bible that if you look at a woman the lost after her in your heart, it's a sin? Is it not just once? How many times do we see foot washing in the, in the Bible? Is it not just once? How many times do we hear that the Bible says to us that a man shall not wear that which pertains to a woman and a woman shall not wear that which pertains to a man and God calls it abomination? Has it ceased to be an abomination? Who changed it and where do you see the change? Do not enter into that self-confident mode where you are now a decider of what is true and what is not true in the word of God. Humble yourself and follow every word of God and see that there is nothing that the Lord has said that is of, of no consequence. To say that is to insult God, that he said something that has no consequence, that there is no harm in it. He, that means he was just talking. He didn't mean what he said. He was just giving instruction for nothing. Is that what it means? That's what you say. That's what you mean when you say that. Let us humble ourselves. Do not start to review your original position and say, these laws of, of social reform are too strict. How can you say we can't spend time in a man's house? I've spent time in a man's house before and I slept over there and nothing happened. Maybe you did that because necessity demanded it and maybe you were in an emergency. Yes, I understand. But don't do that out of complacency, just for no reason whatsoever. Just say, I'm going to visit. Visit for what reason? We have to be careful. God will teach us the lesson that self-confidence that will make one to begin to take liberties and drop down the standards following one's will will lead to our ruin. Let us beware of neglecting those little things. He that is faithful in that which is least will be faithful in much. Let us pray. Our dear Father in heaven, thank you for giving us constant instruction to safeguard us. Lord, I know that if we are truly your children, we will not have any problem with these things. Lord, transform our hearts and help us, Lord, not to become self-confident. May we maintain meekness of spirit, humility, and follow the instructions and safeguards that you have given to us in your word. Forgive us, Lord. There have been times when we have broken these safeguards and become at ease. Maybe we haven't gone into blatant sin like that of David. Lord, please, may this experience not be our deception. That because nothing happened, then we now feel at liberty to go deeper and deeper in the act. Please, Lord, help us, save us from our own selves and give us grace to be humble and practice safety in all our relations. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers and answering. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.